Former U.S. National Rugby Team Captain. Team Captain. Head Coach and General Manager. General Manager. Now, the co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Now, now, Full Contact CEO with Alex Magleby. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining Full Contact CEO today. I'm your host, Alex Magleby. I'm also co-founder and CEO of the New England Free Jacks. Joining me today is a man synonymous with USA Rugby, Cal Berkeley, legend of the game, scoring tries for Leicester, Cardiff Blues. It's none other than former Eagle captain, all-around amazing human, father, Oxford MBA turned management consultant, Blaine Scully. Blaine, thanks for joining today. No, thanks so much for having me. We're going to do a quick warm-up. Okay, I'm just going to say a word, say the first thing that comes to mind. Cool? Cool. Water polo? Uh, hard. All-Americans? Great tour. Sacktown? Kings. Tigers? Welford Road. Bears? Center of the universe. Blues? Arms Park. The Eagles. Honor. Brilliant. Oxford. Haven't been there yet. <laughs> I don't have a pandemic to get an MBA. Did you graduate? Didn't we graduate? No, I have like 11 months left. Yeah. Okay. Next year. Next year. So you're doing this at the same time. You're also in the new corporate world. Yep. Right. I'm, I'm getting multiple degrees at the same time. With uh, less than a two-year-old. With less than two-year-olds, yeah. So working and and, uh, and a, now a John Deere lawnmower. So that's that's yeah. kind of what Saturdays look like for me. Welcome yeah. to fatherhood. This is a business. Yeah. Okay, a bit of your background. You grew up in Sacramento, and then how did? What did you play in high school? What was life like? Uh, so I, I guess I kind of grew up like every other American kid, playing and competing just about everything, and. Um, I ended up in high school playing water polo, basketball, and swimming, and uh, um, just was in love with competition and sports and teams my whole life, and um, was fortunate to have some success in, in high school as, as a college and water polo player, um, as a water polo player and as a swimmer, where I was an All-American, and my plan all along was to, to go into... Uh, play water polo in college but um ended up deciding not to do that which landed me with rugby which is amazing that's when i first met you i think yeah. watching you play at the old national all-star collegiate championships with socal right yeah 2008 maybe mm -hmm. and you were just yeah. started picking up the game but you had huge quads great speed and um we we had you on that all-american trip in 2008 to new zealand which was for me a formative tour. Um, I think being exposed to you know, what kind of seems pretty objective at this point that the best rugby playing culture in, in the world um, for a three week uh, assembly with all the best college rugby players in, in the United States and the best rugby coaches, it was a pretty special moment. It ended up being an incredibly successful cohort of players who all ended up. Yeah, either playing in World Cups or doing all sorts of pretty incredible things. So, um, you know, for me, that was kind of a an aha moment that I could maybe do this, and I really did want to do this, and I was passionate about it, and this was what I was supposed to do. 
you're like, wait a minute, we're practicing and playing in the rain and mud every day, and this is still cool. So I like this game. Yeah, <laughs> that was a good team. Uh, it was Mark a really was good team. That team. Hayden was on that team. Hayden Smith. Yeah. yeah. Kevin Swearin. Yeah. Danny Hayes, Eric Fry, Colin Holly. Uh, yeah. Steve St. Pierre. That was a thing. A lot of guys. Eight, eight, eight players from that tour ended up playing in the 2011 World Cup uh, yeah. in, New, in New Zealand as well. Right. Which includes you. So you were at UCLA, All American trip, and then you transferred to. Cal Berkeley, right? Yeah. For your next few years. Uh, walk us through that experience. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess I kind of transferred for all the reasons kids normally transfer. LA probably wasn't a great fit for me and, and, uh, being closer to home was, was important. And then, um, Cal was also in the UC system, which, which made things easier as well. But, um, yeah, I, I, I had, um, met with coaches uh, prior to doing it and, and kind of decided that this would be a really good fit. And um, it ended up being the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Um, not least of which, you know, on the rugby side, but, you know, from the personal development side, from, you know, being a student and treating sport as study um, and being immersed in, in, what is uh, one of the most incredible rugby traditions in North America. Um, and I just so happened to meet my wife at Cal as well. So it, it ended up being a pretty good uh, decision all around. It's pretty magical. Obviously, under the tutelage of Coach Clark, Coach Billups, you continue to thrive in the sport. But then you were you got capped in June of 2011, if I remember correctly. Right, That was your first cap? That was correct, yeah. So I, I went, I ended up, um, in 2011, I actually did end up going, or excuse me, 2010, I think I, I did the, uh, a leg maybe of the Churchill cup at that point, uh, yeah. again, and played about three minutes, I think against the Saxons. <laughs> and, uh, but in 2011, um, which was my last year at Cal, uh, after the CRCs, uh, in Philadelphia, we received a phone call and saying that that I was asked to, to, to join the national team and, and had been called up. And so I was on a plane the next day. I was at, out to a meal with my, my girlfriend and uh, at the time now wife and then my family. And, uh, so I was pretty exciting and joined the team in England, um, and went straight into the starting 15 the next week against Russia for my first cap. So it's amazing. Yeah. And then that 2011 All-American Tour, that was a pretty special group too. If you think about that was that. a special group. That was a great, a great team. Again, you know, a, a very successful group of players. Um, it was a successful tour as well, hosting New Zealand University. So it was a really cool bookend actually to my All-American experience, which, you know, for me is, is, is a program that I'm really personally passionate about. I think there's, you know, tremendous value, um, in it and in so many different ways. And, I think it highlights, um, you know, the potential of collegiate rugby as a as a pi- pipeline to, um, yeah, growing this great game. Where do you think that fits in now? You know, it's it's something that we haven't resourced very well over the last few years. It really hasn't done much, touring wise. Is it is it just the honor of being named? In your experience, was it the pathway to get there? Was it the ability to play with? guys you'd played against all year and really highly competitive matches, especially for you. you that was like the BYU Cal rivalry. Yeah. 
Then we you know, got a lot of all the, I mean, Roundy was on that 2011 team, Sean Davies, mm-hmm. Mikey Sua. I mean, mm-hmm. so what, what are the benefits of that program? What were the benefits of that program and how important is that or not important to the future of rugby, you know, here in this country? Well, I mean, I, I think there's definitely a place for it. Uh, I mean, again, it, it could obviously always be my nostalgia for the program, but I, I think the program, maybe in its current form, is symptomatic of some more systematic uh, dysfunction uh, that has allowed for maybe not the resource allocation, whether it's time, energy, or you know, dollars to end up flowing there. Um, but you know, how that fits in the development cycle and the team priorities of of different people and, and all that, uh, I think makes it a challenge. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to see, you know, a robust collegiate competition and, you know, again, I, I think there is uh, a real important development time when a, when a young athlete is in that university format. And I think that exposure and having some sort of regular competition internationally constructed and, and, you know, I'd, I'd like to think that there's international partnership opportunities with other university programs, other unions That's right. to be able to facilitate that and make that, you know, economically and business viable. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's gotta be part of a coherent overall development, uh, infrastructure that, you know, kind of supports the, you know, six year old to the, you know, 36 year old, uh, yeah. in a high performance and then, you know, maybe some, but, and, and again, like, not just like as a development pipeline, I think there's utility in it as just, you know, kind of as part of the ethos and fabric of like what's important and what makes our sport unique yeah. uh, in the U.S. And I think it's a really cool tradition that we should hold on to. Agreed. So All-Americans, you're playing 2011 and then what happens? Yeah, we did the Collegiate All-Americans and then, you know, kind of uh, rocket ship through to, you know, the 20. 20- 11 World Cup where um, you're starting against Ireland uh, in the in our World Cup opener um, and uh, had the opportunity to play in, in each of our pool pool matches against uh, Ireland, Australia, uh, Italy, and um, Russia, um, which, uh, as it turns out, was my only World Cup victory, which which hurts pretty bad, but yeah. it just shows how how difficult it is. Yeah. Um, and so after that, after that uh, World Cup uh, tour, uh, ended up down for training for the Pan American Games, uh, which was new for us then. And then um, came back from that, and then had accepted one of the first uh, contracts down at Chula Vista with uh, USA Rugby and and the USOPC at that point um, to kind of fully house the sevens program there in preparation for an Olympic cycle. And then about two or three months into 2012, I ruptured my Achilles. And so I was, um, out for the next 10 months, 10, 12 months. It's going back and looking at that. I came into the residency program. That was March, right? When did the injury happen? It was late March, maybe April. Um, it was a Hong Kong tour, right? I think. Yeah. We were just about to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's when that happened. Yeah. And then you, and one of the things that always impressed me with you, Blaine, there's many, but just your ability to manage setback and continue through a process and how diligent you were um, in that process to, to, to kind of get back on the horse. What would you say to a young athlete in that regard now? Like, why were you able to do that then? What, what, where was that maturity from? Um, and, and was it helpful for you? 
Yeah. Well, I think for me, I, I, you know, I had what was a, a pretty substantial professional setback related to my athletic career, but, you know, growing up, my, my mom, um, uh, after she'd won the district attorney election in 1994, my dad had passed away. And so, you know, I watched her and her response and, you know, losing the only person you ever love and, and now being left with two kids and a, and a really, um, you know, high pressure job where you need to be pretty strong and, and public facing. Um, but seeing the way she was able to prioritize what she needed to handle everything and not take any moment for granted with anybody and anything she did, uh, for me, it was probably the most impactful thing I've ever seen. And if she could kind of handle something like that, then I could handle a, a, a return to play injury. Right. Um, yeah. which, you know, okay, of course is, you know, physically, uh, excruciating and all that kind of stuff at times, but there, there was a, there was an end point that I was, if I was able to kind of focus in on some things and, and, you know, stay positive and, and keep a diligent mindset, all that kind of, all the things you kind of just mentioned, you know, I could, I could get through it um, because I'd seen somebody get through something a lot more um, yeah. uh, testing with, with a, an incredible attitude and real life. And, and so real life, yeah, real life stuff. So, yeah. So my mom, and then also for me, I was, you know, hugely supported by, you know, the Cal leg programs, coach Clark and coach Billups, who, uh, when I was on the table, coach Billups just kind of said, yeah, I'll come home and we'll fix you. And that's what we did. And we just got the busy getting to work and, and for me, I, I'd say that was one of the most important years I've ever had. So I would say to any young athlete, that was my character year. Um, you know, it's easy to be a professional athlete when things are going well and you're playing well and you're never hurt or injured. And that's not real. Um, you, you, you will always be hurting and you will always be dealing with some sort of internal pressure or, you know, performance gap and something you need to improve. So really, like you just have to realize that that's your journey. And um, you know, I I think when I look at the people I've seen have the most successful careers, and I've seen a lot of talented people, but talent doesn't necessarily equal a good career. Um, talent equals maybe a, a good game, maybe a good season, or a good string of matches. But what separates professionals who have really good careers and talented folks is, I think, the ability to overcome all of the adversity and setbacks you will have. Cause you will have them, uh, on a lot. each and every day of your professional career and find a way to get through it. And yeah. from the outside looking in, everybody's like, oh, life is pretty good. Unicorns and everything else. But the reality of what it takes to get in any business in any industry and yeah. certainly for athletes and you represented that so well and live that. I love that. Blaine. And so you came back, you came back into the sevens residency program, right? That you, you were mm -hmm. in winter of 13 and. Um, when we started to put together some, you know, top five, top, you know, top performances beating most, most teams, uh, in the country, which was, which was great to kind of kickstart the sevens kind of experience that we've seen for almost a decade now of, of really high quality work. Then you remind me what in the, in spring of 2013, is, was that when you decided to start chasing, um, 15s full time? I can't remember what, what, what happened. So we were we were facing the choice of the sevens World Cup. You also had um, 15s test matches. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and so I, um, you know, come back and then into the program. Um, you know, it was still, you know, getting up to international speed. Um, you know, I, I was 
I was probably bigger and stronger than I've ever yeah. been, which was, which was great. So we, we were, it was really, you know, quite a, a, a special sort of, uh, kickstart and it was great to be back in the program. Um, but then had the opportunity to join the 15s team. And I know we'd had some dialogue about what was, what was kind of there. And I think it, we, we kind of just decided uh, that, you know, 15, so at least in this particular episode was where it was going to be. And then that's when the trial opportunity popped up at Leicester. Yeah. So it was a two week trial. Um, and, and when, when I was assessing, and this is something that I would also say to a young, you know, professional rugby player is when you're assessing like, what's the best opportunity for your development and where you want to get to, um, yeah, there's other opportunities for you know, potentially to play in the championship and some of that, but I, I wanted to be in the best place I possibly could, even if it exposed me to the most risk because yeah. it had the biggest upside and the greatest place I could go and to learn and develop. And so Lester was that opportunity and you now two weeks turned into four weeks, which turned into two years. Um, and then that obviously created an opportunity at, at, at Cardiff as well. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was, um, another one of those things where, Hey, um, we have a few injuries and we've had a few retirements. We have back three space. If you want a chance, uh, to earn a contract, get on a plane and we'll see you in 24 hours. Yeah. I don't think people understand how difficult that is for an American to make it in Europe, given rules around, um, visas and and then also foreign spots and then their incentives from their unions like the RFU, you know, they get paid by the national teams to have players who can perform for the national team. So the difficulty in that to not only get a chance, which is huge, but then to take that chance, uh, you know, which you clearly did with through your, your work ethic and your talent and, um, you know, your savviness uh, is, is enormously impressive. What did you learn going through that experience? Well, I, I definitely learned. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, I learned I like Indian food as well. Uh, I, I didn't have much Indian <laughs> food. I, I was like, I was like, I'll stick to burritos when I was in California. But then, you know, going to Leicester and there's some incredible Indian uh, spot. We lived when I was living with Jordan Murphy, who kind of uh, yeah. was a, a le- former yeah. legend. Uh, yeah. Former uh, director of rugby, uh, played at Ireland. I think he had seventy-two or seventy-three caps. He kind of took me under his wing, so I lived with him, and and he really looked after me. And there was an Indian restaurant right next door to his house that we would go to all the time. But you know, I, I think for me, you know, I, I, what, sort of what you said is, I knew you know, kind of the the hill I was up against. So what I was going to do is, I just made a promise to myself that I was going to compete every single day. Um, and enjoy and maximize the experience. And, you know, with that, I, you know, kind of brought you know, some of my intangible assets that I brought and learned from American sports. So I, I automatically, you know, just by how I'd been prepared via my coaches uh, back in the United States was, was professional ready, which was um, um, not actually that big of a surprise. I, I didn't feel like it was actually that big of a jump. I was actually, I was actually surprised by how ready I was for that moment. Um, and, but what, I, what I also needed to do was, was focus on, on what I had to do in order to you know, get a job, which was, I had to outcompete somebody in order to make sure I had a spot Yeah, and whether that was, you know, a young talented English player or uh, a former all black, uh, or an Argentinian international or, or an Australian international, all of which were at the club at the same time, 
competing for you know limited spots uh and then you, know, you also operate in a global marketplace as well where 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 the general managers are all looking for for talent um so you know again you have to be twice as good i think because you're also oh that's what coach bilks always says because you're overcoming a uh sort of a, a stigma potentially yeah. as well um so you know that that was kind of my mindset was you know control we control compete every second of every day be be the most professional person in the building and the hardest worker and you'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, that, that's easy f- for, for us to say and read in books, but the, the fact that you got up every day and you did it and you found a way, what was your motivation to keep doing that? Like what, what, what keeps you going in that? Room? Well, I, cause I had a, I had an opportunity that, you know, most Americans didn't. And, you know, I, I had a chip on my shoulder as well because yeah, each and every conversation I had with, not every conversation, but a lot of conversations was, oh, I didn't know Americans played rugby. You know, I thought you played football or whatever. It's like, oh yeah, well, it just comes Saturday. And it's okay. You're, watch. you're a sleeping giant. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Come, come Saturday and we'll, we'll, we'll watch. All right. So, so, I mean, there was always that. And so I always felt like I was representing more than just myself too, which, you know, was an important part yeah. of it for me. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, again, like that, that, motivation you know that opportunity that you know kind of desire to you know kind of realize how actually good i could be in this sport but also you know how i could you know maybe make a difference and create some more opportunities for other people down the road was important for me yeah brilliant and you have you've left such a great example for future generations of eagles and just young players coming up uh boys and girls you know but you've seen a lot of good teams you've seen a lot of teams struggle um you've been a part of changing teams to make them more competitive. I think as a captain, you had 60 plus percent win percentages given our history as our national team. That's, that's significant. Um, what are some of the keys that really successful teams have? Well, I, I mean, I've been fortunate again with, with some of my background and, and coaches, uh, and, and also my mom, who's probably the first great leader that I ever got to interact with. And, yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot, um, there's obviously a lot of noise when it comes to teams and what's required. Um, yeah, but I, I think like it ultimately comes down to a few things. It, it comes down to, yeah, if you're a, a leader or you, you want to make a difference or a positive impact in the environment, you have to be a model for it. So you, you can't just talk about it. You can't be, you know, Nobody wants to follow a captain who runs in the huddle and says everyone make your tackles and misses his own. Come on, yeah. we can do better. We can do yeah. better. And, and I've been on a lot of those teams. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a lot of those people. And um, they don't make a difference because, yeah, they they can't. They can't get out of their own way. They can't see past their own their own volume. <laughs> and so, so I, I think you have to have models in the environment, right? Um, you have to know what you're modeling and what's important, and then you have to reward those behaviors. And and um, and then you also have to have a bunch of really good relationships. Um, and and those are, can be hard because people are different and have different priorities and are there for different reasons. So um, you know whether those are other players, other coach, or or management, or whoever it is. Like you know, my, I always saw my job as. I wasn't um, necessarily there to make friends because I was there to make the team better. Uh, I would ultimately build relationships and meaningful relationships. But, you know, what made those relationships most powerful, I think, at the end of the day uh, was the fact that we had to be super honest with each other 
and and hopefully accountable to each other as well. Good teams are built on something you know much deeper because um, they're so interdependent. So if you don't fundamentally trust the people that you're there with, doesn't yeah. matter what you have written on the wall, doesn't matter the systems you have, you're trust. you're not going to get very far. Yeah, it's that glue of any good culture, right? Yeah, trust. Yeah. Um, so and ultimately, you got to good, have good players too. I think you're yeah, right, exactly. Like it's, but that then affects trust, right? Because at the yeah, end of the day, exactly. if you can't execute your job, it doesn't matter, right? And yeah. And you don't have clarity on your job. Yeah. That's also a problem, and and I yeah. see that all the time. I see that in our own business sometimes, and self-reflect on as a CEO in a startup. There are so many jobs to be done that multiple people are wearing multiple hats and it's, it's, it gets much more gray on accountability to one's job because you can make up for not doing your, your core job by doing these other 10,000 things really well. At the end of the day, the core job still needs to get done and all those other things are part of additional things. Um, how have you taken some of that building team, being a part of a team, being a good follower, being a good leader? Um, building trust into your new role at uh, your Pricewaterhouse Coopers. Is that yeah, that? that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, consulting is it's an interesting world, and so it's my first kind of experience in that. And you know, teaming is one of the biggest components of it. Um, you get staffed on a project. Yeah, you get staffed on a project, and you get you you build a team. Yeah, and you know, so for me, uh, my experience on teams, my whole life has been actually perfect. Um, and, and I, it's, it's actually an incredible place for me to be right now is, which is, yeah, I, I would very much kind of fall into the young athlete rookie category, which, you know, now looking back on my career was actually the most, uh, I wouldn't say most fun, but it was definitely the most straightforward. Yeah. Um, because all you have to do when you're a kid is you have to show up and do your job and compete and, and if you do all that stuff, like you just get to enjoy yourself. No pressure yeah. of the team on top of you, all that kind of stuff. But as you slowly grow and mature, um, and you have more expectations around being responsible for the team, knowing your job, knowing everyone else's job, you know, working with coaches, all that stuff becomes more complicated. So I'm actually at the point now where I just get to focus on me and my performance, which is, you know, how I was, at, how every young athlete should yeah. be. Yeah. Um, obviously you have to be conscious of, of all the other stuff, but, and be a really good teammate. Like that's it. That's all my job really requires of the minutes. Like be as good as I can be, learn as, as much as I can and then be a good teammate. So, um, that's, that's been, you know, pretty, pretty directly correlated with my rugby experience. Yeah. What are your feedback loops now? I mean, this is an area that I've seen difficulty in transitioning at times from sport where it's just very black and white. We either scored or we didn't, we won the game or we didn't, we started or we didn't. Um, but there's, there's very binary pieces to the work we do, uh, wherein now you're in the corporate world or in a lot of education, a lot of other pieces, you don't necessarily get that binary immediate feedback. How are you finding that transition? How are you dealing with that? How are you making sure you're staying on course? That was, that was hard for me, probably the last 18 months. Um, but I think uh, I'm, I'm at a place now where I've sort of worked through that. I, I've kind of figured out what my priorities are, figured out what my touch points are, you know, figured out a little bit that like, not totally, but you know, have a better sense of anyways, where, um, you know, 
where and what I need to do. Um, and, um, you know, it kind of starts with being a dad too, which is, which is a pretty crazy transition. And then, and then now like the student stuff is built in, I kind of understand what that looks like a little bit more. And, um, you know, like the work stuff is, is, is great as well. Cause it kind of gives me, you know, that, that, that daily routine, which is, which was something I've been, been definitely missing. Um, but also it's, it's, it's a total recalibration as athlete because exactly what it says feedback loops, but it's also as an athlete, you just get to prioritize yourself and your, your rugby career or your athletic career, which you know, again, you don't, it's not like a, some sort of super selfish way, but ultimately you do have to be selfish you because have to. everything has to be focused on your performance. So, you know, each and every night before bed, I'd have to stretch and foam mold for an hour and a half. And my wife's like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, it's what we have to do. Um, oh no, we can't go there or can't do this because I have to be ready and be fit and be healthy and not banged up from some sort of, you know, leisurely activity. It's just the trade-offs you have to make. hours a day. (laughs) Yeah. And now I'm, you know, firmly at the bottom of the totem pole, which is actually, I'm enjoying that place. Like you're not one much one for regrets and always finding the positive in things and moving forward and focusing on, you know, the process. But now that you've had a bit of catch your breath from your playing career. Are there things you would have done differently? I don't think so. Honestly, I, I mean, I, I really don't, whether I was ready to retire or not was, well, do I feel like I have more to do? I was like, well, I always feel more I have to do, but you know, I'm also at the point where, you know, I had such an incredible run, um, and sports temporary and you just have to be grateful for what you have and what you get. And, you know, for me, I, I was fortunate. I had some injuries, but I didn't have, you know, some of the catastrophic injuries that you get to see. Um, I'm still reasonably healthy. I have, you know, most of my shoulders intact. Um, and I, you know, was kind of ready. So rugby wise in this country, you know, probably especially lately, we're only seeing, we don't know what's happening underneath the hood anymore so much. We're only seeing reser- results on the field. And so there's a lot of judgment about those results, the results that, you know, I'm sure the playing group and everybody involved is not, is not thrilled with. Certainly fans are, are frustrated with, uh, just why do you think that is? Well, I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit. Um, you know, I think that there's, you know, there's definitely some, some system inputs that we can be better at and yeah, the overall amount of, uh, athletes that we're, we're creating, um, you know, the environments of those athletes, the, you know, continuity of the program, um, you know, the cohesion of the team, uh, as well. Nice. Um, you know, whether it's, and, and I'd say that's up and all the way up and down, you know, from the top of the pyramid to the foundation of the pyramid. And, and I, I'd say that it's no one's more important than the other, but you obviously need you build the big base, then feed up to the top. So, you know, again, it's, it's a, it's a really challenging question. And, and I think, you know, there's a lot of rugby countries that are trying to figure that out right now. Um, but, you know, I think for us in particular, it's, you know, finding what is sort of the, uh, I know you spent a, work, a lot of work on this, is like, what is the optimum American model? I just don't know if we quite figure that out. Um, you know, how, how do we sort of create a robust infrastructure that's, you know, st- strategically coherent and from yeah. a business perspective, and then also, you know, gives us uh, um, the amount of, of talent, resources, and know-how, whether that's a coach, referee, or a player, um, or or some support staff member, right? And so I, I think that's 
and I guess like the, the, the squirrel board on, on national team assemblies are you know, just, you know, kind of really you know, harsh feedback, uh, points for, for and public feedback points on, on exactly. that stuff. Yeah. It's, and sometimes you're not ready for that feedback because the systems aren't yeah. caught up or in, or in place. Yeah. There's a commercial issue, right? That at the end of the day, there's just a lot of the programs within USA rugby, our national teams talking about the all Americans, women's men, sevens, it doesn't really matter. There's just not enough money coming in the door to get those athletes together to build the cohesion. Um, what are some potential solutions to that? Well, capital helps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and this is, you know, this is, you know, part of the, I'd see one of the great values of MLR, right? So you have exactly. professional, um, folks who have a business interest in growing the game, building markets and, and, and growing fan bases, developing players. So, you know, I think that's part of the solution. Uh, um, you know, again, there's, there's, uh, an exposure part is like, how do you expose the bottom, uh, of the pyramid? Those young athletes, how do you yeah. sort of rugby capture them earlier? Um, you know, the, the talent transfer is always going to be part of it because we just have more good athletes per capita than any other country in the world. So we can, we can maybe do some, some transfer there, but that, that's not an, ultimately a, an end game fix. Um, uh, but you know, from a, and, and then oh yeah, how, how that kind of impacts you know, commercially is like, you know, if it creates a more successful you know, national team, then that's like kind of the old adage, but I'm not necessarily sure that's, uh, needs to be the case. Um, you know, there's, I think again, what I, I'd like to believe is I think there is a, a sort of a, an American system with the way we structure competitions, where we place them, the markets we focus in on, and then just being really efficient and allocating our resources in the best manner, uh, and in a line matter. So, you know, really like you know, whether you're hosting a national team or an MLR event, there's some sort of synergy associated with parties who all have limited resources and are trying to figure it out. But yeah. if there's youth, uh, camps, clinics, you know, festivals that are going on, maybe they can be attached to uh, whether it's, a uh, some sort of top end, uh, uh, event, whether it's a national team event, male or female MLR related. And so there's always this connectivity, this thread, which I think, you know, creates a more sustainable business structure, hopefully for, for folks, because, um, everyone's working in the same direction and not tugging in opposite ways, which, you know, kind of has ultimately like, I think led to not some of the, the business decisions that, that have caused some issues, but at least some of the, the, the momentum go for that that can be experienced if, if everyone kind of buy into that. Right. And I, with MLR, I think that's a really, really um, important piece there. Finally, we have dollars being spent um, at the local level, and I'm really excited to see the impact that they can have on participation in the next few years. Because, you know, getting schools to want to play at the lower levels, um, getting parents and kids to choose rugby as one of their three, four sports that they play growing up uh, is really exciting. I think that we have something really, really unique to offer as a sport. I, you know, I think you would agree with that. Not only the values, but the actual game itself, whether that's non-contact or contact rugby uh, and, and the various um, types of rugby that are available. And then making sure the incentives are in place to want to continue, right? And in terms of the scholastic model, and we do see that uh, not only on the men's game, but certainly the growth in the women's game. We are seeing opportunities at the men's collegiate level as well, where you can 
get into a good school or you can have a scholarship. Uh, and that's, that's real positive. And then a lot of those folks become fans, right? But that's a, so that's a generational process. At the same time, I think the other side of that is um, sport as entertainment. And it's just, is this a really good two hours of your time? If you spend 30 bucks, less than a hundred bucks for your whole family to go and you can get street level pricing on food and it is really a festival and there's something for the four-year-old and there's something for the 94-year-old uh, through those th through that uh, process. And it's just really a, a fantastic sports entertainment experience. And I think that's what we can offer as well based on what our sport is. Um, you know, it's, it's festival fun. It's gets a bit wild and cheeky at the same time that it's a family environment. I think that juxtaposition has always been an, an awesome part about rugby. And now it's, it's, we have to, we have to share that. Right. We, we, yeah, we certainly sure. have to share that for sure. Uh, you've seen rugby from a lot of different angles, a lot of different players. Who do you think is best equipped to fight a grizzly? No weapons. Nick no Williams. Weapons. Nick Williams. Okay. Uh, long time, uh, played for Ulster, but he spent a lot of time with me and, and Cardiff. He's yeah. the nicest, most beautiful person in the world. But I would, if I had to choose one man to go in there for me, uh, he would yeah. be him. Okay. That's awesome. Uh, oh, what is something you've never done but want to try? Uh, I, w I want to do um, a cross-country drive across the U.S. and do the whole thing, like staying in places, doing the whole deal. That's what I really want to do. That's great. Yeah. You know, when I left um, U.S. 7s that summer, right after the World Cup, I packed my car in San Diego, and it was the one of the best weeks I've ever had, just kind of decompressing, driving across the coast. Every once in a while, catching up with friends, but for the most part, just just time to think and digest right. and kind of do personal audit, which was which was really good. Awesome. Uh, what is Richard Cockrell really like? <laughs> Cockers is a great guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cockers and I get along really well. Um, hey, he gave me a chance, right? Like that. Yeah, that's ultimately awesome. for him. So, you know, we always have a good relationship. And then he knew what he'd get out of me, which is. Uh, you know, probably why we had a good relationship. He's like, I'm, I'll know what you give me each and every week. And uh, so we actually had a really cool moment when he, so he ended up coaching at Edinburgh um, and I was at Cardiff and the year we won the Challenge Cup, uh, we we went up and, and played him at Murray Field and we ended up beating him and, and uh, um, you know, we kind of had a, a cool, you know, few hours after the game and stuff, so. That's great. It was, it was special. Speaking of your most favorite rugby night out ever, yeah, it was, it was a Bill Bow was um, after after the uh, Challenge Cup final was was a great night. But I mean, I think one of the cool nights too that I've had. Uh, and again, like it's it's all relative because what they're attached to, like all they're all contextual. And so one of my favorite moments was just after we we beat Scotland in 2018, and we we're just at the hotel just enjoying each other's company and. And uh, we did have a game against Canada the next week, but um, you know that that just kind of that, that was always my favorite moment. That's what I miss about sports and about rugby in particular is after you know a a week of training your tail off and then you know going into this high pressured stressful environment uh, of a contest with a bunch of people yelling and screaming at you and for you, and then you know playing some you know really competent and difficult, well-prepared competition and then going back into the changing room shattered, but satisfied. You yeah. Know, it was always like yeah, my, yeah. my favorite thing. So my favorite yeah. nights in the world was my, I got my first cap in Millennium Stadium 
so going out in Cardiff that night was uh, was a lot of fun. We worked really hard on that tour. It was a great tour and a lot of great older players. Like that was one of my younger, you were talking about being the younger player. I mean, mm-hmm. Dan Lyle, Haji, you know, Luke Gross. Like there was a, there was a lot of really high quality um, players above me and older who could kind of mentor just a, a legendary night. Uh, everywhere you went, people were so friendly and congratulatory and you were with your buddies and you kind of put everything on the line for three weeks. It was fantastic. So it was, it was a real That's awesome one. You know, you've seen the game from a lot of different angles. What can we learn MLR from, you know, some of those teams in the premiership in pro 14? Well, I think, I think there's some interesting stuff, but one of the things I think, and you kind of touched on it earlier is, is, you know, kind of rugby's opportunity to, you know, be a, you know, part of the community as a point of differentiation. I, I see that those are really cool parts about the clubs that you know, I've been a part of is their attachment to the community and their their accessibility to the community. And so, like, I, I think that's and what I would also encourage is, is that I think that's a, a really cool, unique you know, value proposition that the you other know, sports, as you rightfully said, just can't you can't manufacture that. It's just kind of built into the fabric of what it is. Where you walk out on the field after the game and kids can actually go on the field and the players are accessible and they're given high five and signing autographs and families are there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, really special. If you were, um, and we'll end with this one because it's always my favorite question. If you were CEO of the Free Jacks, what would you be focused on? What would you be doing? What is our coffee strategy? How well caffeinated is everyone? Is everyone on, does everyone have a BOSU ball at their desk or a Swiss ball? Yeah. What's the general mobility plan of each and every employee? Uh, priorities. Yeah. Priorities. <laughs> really? Uh, so I'm not cut out for that job. Of course you are. I don't see you have a bright future, Blaney. It's great to catch up. Is there anything we're missing? we'd want to share with the wonderful world that's out there no well thank you for having me thank you for you know that pact you had on me and the opportunity to create it and and uh, i'm always really grateful for your friendship and mentorship and and uh, i enjoy watching the free jacks and i'll look forward to seeing its continued success yeah blaney that goes both ways for sure we learn a lot from each other so i much appreciate it appreciate you uh, best of luck in the coming days, weeks uh, with the new with the new job. It sounds really exciting, and best to the family. Cheers, thank you. You're well, thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Full Contact CEO, the greatest episode yet. Stay tuned for a slate of exciting guests in the world of sports, business, and of course rugby. Subscribe and give us a follow. More free jets.